Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. This is me, Steffi Cohen. And Hayden Bo. And today we sit down with two very special people, Maureen Shea and Phil Daru. Today we talk about Phil's um, journey through becoming a strength coach, his athletic career being an MMA fighter, and his current online business in, in coaching. We talked to Maureen a little bit, too, about her uh, rise to a title fight in boxing and becoming a world champion. Two-time world champion. Two-time, two-time world champion. As always, this podcast brought to you by Go Strong Equipment. I know you guys are freaking out to place your orders because they've been uh, backed up for a little bit, but they're going to be, I think it's coming up either a week or so until they should be accepting orders again. So uh, in the interim, go check out their stuff. They make everything custom with your logos, your colors, all that good stuff. They're at GoStrongEquipment.com and go, at GoStrongEquipment on Instagram. Sit back and do the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for uh, making the drive. Phil, what did you drive? Like 10 days? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, he went up to my spot to get a camera and come back at the same time I got there. So, shouts out to Nick for doing that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was about yeah. It, all in all, I think it's like two and a half hours or three hours, something like that. Nick, you better get a big fat bonus for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking don't tell him that. But you don't, don't get ideas. <laughs> uh, Awesome. What are we going to talk about today? Well, we should do intros first. Yeah, for sure. That's it. Uh, yeah, you guys want to just go over who you are, what you do, all the, all the stuff our listeners need to know? Sure. Uh, Phil DeRue, strength and conditioning coach, ex-MMA fighter, pro fighter for eight years with American Top Team. Now I own my own facility, work with some of the top level fighters in the world, along with Maureen Shea here next to me. I've uh, worked with Dustin Poirier, Yoani and Jacek, Edson Barbosa, Frankie Edgar, Junior Dos Santos right now. Kind of list goes on and on. I've worked with probably over 200 fighters within a 10-year span and probably more than that, would you say? From oh, like yeah. boxing, judo, MMA, everything. Um, as far as credentials right now, uh, three-time award-winning strength and conditioning coach for the MMA awards. I'm actually, I just got uh, nominated again for this year, so hopefully we'll win it again. That'll be four times, and then we'll see what happens. How can people that. vote for you? Uh, actually, go on to the website. It's uh, worldmmaawards.com, and you can check it out. It's Trainer, it's trainer, of, the trainer of the Year. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah. We'll link it. Yeah. yeah. This goes out tomorrow. So. This goes out tomorrow? Okay. Nice. nice. Get lots of votes. And Maureen? Oh, I'm Maureen Shea, um, two-time world boxing champion. Uh, also, I act as Phil's right hand, too, <laughs> when, he needs, when he needs coasters for the table. Um, uh, I'm from the Bronx, New York, uh, born and raised, and uh, traveled around the country and also just for boxing. And uh, I've trained in different parts of the world, including Panama, Mexico, having fought and stuff. And I worked on a, the Oscar award-winning film, uh, Million Dollar Baby. I uh, was uh, Hillary Swank's primary sparring partner. It was a long time ago. Yeah, we trained out of Bro in Brooklyn, in Gleason's gym in Brooklyn, and uh, for six months she worked uh, to to get the, that character that part down. And she studied me for the character, and it's been it's been quite the uh, quite the ride ever since. They they coined me the the real million dollar baby. Have you seen that movie? Uh, it's such know. a good movie, such a sad movie too. Yeah. Well, the whole the whole the whole basis of that movie was actually supposed to be euthanasia, 
And because Clint Eastwood does a lot of those, um, you know, those real, those kinds of films. But her role, the way that she committed to that role really uh, captured the audience. And she was really uh, believable. And she really en encapsulated the life of a female fighter, you know, in the gyms, being not being taken seriously and having to really grind and work hard working uh, as a waitress to, uh, you know, just pay for, for stuff. And I did the same thing to get my first headgear, you know, having to, <laughs> having to work, you know, and do that. And nobody taking me seriously. So it was a it was a great film. A lot of females I know could relate to it. I definitely want to touch back on, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the beginnings of female boxing and how it's evolved throughout the years. For sure. But how did you land that opportunity? Um, with Hillary, um, luck is preparation meeting opportunity. I was actually preparing in Gleason's gym for the Golden Gloves. And uh, I was there. And, and I think the biggest reason my coach, she found, she came, she was recommended to train with my coach, Hector Roca at the time. And for me, it was more, I always was a good working in the ring. It wasn't more about like beating my opponents because I knew that wasn't the fight. The fight was different. So it was more of like uh, practice and just working on, uh, you know, landing the punches and everything. So I had the control. And that's why they put me in there with her. Plus she was fighting at my weight class, which is 125 pounds at that time. So that was really, I think the control and the ability to kind of communicate with her and to work with her and to really want to see her grow. Um, I, I, that's why I got the opportunity and I was young. I was, I was 24 when we did that 23, 24 years old. That's so awesome. Wow. That must've been so such a cool opportunity for was, experience. It was so weird because I literally didn't expect it. So when you walk into a boxing gym and, and Phil can attest to this, it's like, you really have to, you know, we don't care who you are. We don't care. You're, I mean, we've had, you know, people that come in, uh, you know, Usher was trained there. 50 cent came in. We're like, okay, you're coming into our world now. So let's see what you're going to be able to handle. You know, like Tyson says, you know, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. So we're like, oh, we all would sit back and be like, oh, let's see what's going to happen now. You know? So when she came in, she was very respectful and, um, you know, but she really proved herself and she showed up every day and her work ethic, I think was really what what um what gravitated a lot of people towards her and it showed up in the film but overall it was really just that 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 grind you know but um it was interesting for me because like i said i didn't expect to be working with her and then when i did i was just like wow this is this is interesting and then when the media found out about me that's where i was literally thrust into a spotlight where i didn't understand you know people magazine access hollywood cnn i was on all these news stations getting calls <laughs> I'm in college. So for me, it was the focus was winning the golden gloves, going to school, working. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I'm getting calls from California. My cousin's like, you're in people magazine. I had no idea. <laughs> I got to read this That's stuff. Wild. You know, you're my friends flying to Puerto Rico for a trip. And he's like, you're on CNN on the plane. It was just weird. <laughs> it was just so like all of it. And I was telling Phil the other day, um, I actually lost the golden glove fight. Um, and when I, when I went home, it was so weird because, you know, AOL, you know, you sign on to AOL and they had like this, the running screen. And I'm, I, woke, I woke up the next morning and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden it's me getting punched in the face on AOL <laughs> on the running screen. And so I think it was very surreal for me. You know, I didn't have an agent. I didn't have any of that going on. I didn't get paid for the movie. It was sure. just so I just was just going with it, you know, and it was interesting, but definitely prepared me for for to where I am now. Wow. Yeah. wow. Phil, let's go back to um, let's go back to kind of how you got to where you are mm -hmm. today. How how long ago did you stop competing professionally? I was 26. Um, I actually ended up getting like eight concussions and I played football as a young kid. So I played since I was eight years old, went to college, played there for a little bit. Then after that, went right into MMA. I was also boxing, boxing on the off season. So I was doing boxing and then going, you know, not supposed to be boxing while competing in the NCAA they won't let you but i competed under an alias name so it was all right <laughs> <laughs> and when i got out of there uh, i was like you know what man i want to compete you know so i started looking up gyms and i had i found buddy mcgurk's gym in vero beach so i started going there you know maybe once or twice a week if i could because it's about an hour away and then i looked up dean thomas had a school and dean thomas is ex-ufc fighter 
at the time he was still in the UFC and fighting under the Ultimate Fighter show. Also, he's an American Top Team veteran. So I was like, all right, perfect. I know American Top Team from being from Broward uh, for a lot of the area. So I was like, all right, cool. I ran up on him the one day and I was like, you know what, man? I, 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 he was opening up the door and I was like, hey, bro, I want to train. And he's looked at me. He's just like, all right, kid, well, we'll see what you got. You know what I mean? And everybody always comes to him and is like, man, I want to fight. I want to fight. When you get new kids coming into the gym, they're always saying they want to fight. They want to go to the UFC. You know, maybe... 30% of them will, will keep at it. You know what I mean? So he was just like, all right. So I showed up, did the classes, you know, did really well. Was turned amateur, did some amateur fights, probably did about maybe six to eight, was undefeated as an amateur and then going into my pro career. And then from there, just basically at the same time, I was still trying to make money for my family. The real reason why I left school was because my mom had developed lupus, which is autoimmune disease. And my dad got in a bad car accident, so they couldn't work. So my little sister is like 10 years younger than me. Again, I used to always take care of her. So there was no money coming in. So either I had a, I had a choice to make, right? Is either I stay in school and watch my family kind of go and suffer, or I come back and try to help out. So at that same time, they left the neighborhood that I was in. I grew up in not so great neighborhood. They left there and moved up to Port St. Lucie, and that's where I met Dean. And at the same time, so I left left my scholarship on the table, right? Didn't have anything else to do. I was like, all right, listen, if I don't make it to the NFL, which probably not going to happen, I need to figure out something to help my family out. So I left and uh, started, you know, I got my degree in IRSC, which is like Indian Rivers, a community college up there. Finished that off and then started training people. Started sneaking them in to go to the gym as I was training for my fights. So then I started to develop my system to train fighters because I needed to learn how to do this mm -hmm. correctly. So I started training my my teammates, sneaking people in to go as gym. That's when I met Tony Montgomery. You guys know who Tony yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. That's where I met Tony and I started training with him. And he had a he had a strength and conditioning gym. That's where I really started to learn a little bit more about every aspect of training, where it'd be powerlifting, strongman, and integrating that in into MMA and boxing and all these other sports. So with that, he gave me an opportunity. I was an independent contractor for a little bit there, working, helping my family out. You know, opened up my own gym at the age of 22, also turned professional at 21. So I was a pro fighter and then also owning my own gym at the same time. And you guys know how hectic that can be, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, at the end of the day, I should have been more focused on one thing at a time. Now I think about that. And what ended up happening was my focus wasn't into full fighting. So I ended up losing fights that I should have won just from stupid mistakes, not being totally in it, you know? Uh, my first pro fight was a, I was a main event um, in Louisiana where Dustin was actually rings or cage side watching the fight. So it actually goes full circle. And I was actually uh, fought Kurt Hollibaugh who's fought in the UFC. Um, he was 12 and 12 and 0 at the time Two, he had two titles and everything else. So I went there. My coach Dean was like, you know what? He's a tough guy, but you got him. So I cut down to 155 in a Walmart parking lot. <laughs> so like back then, I was probably making maybe maybe four to five hundred dollars a fight, right? Wow. And that was my travel money. So I made, I lost the fight. I made two hundred dollars, and I spent that getting back home. So I was broke still at the time, right? Opened up my own gym, right? Five hundred square foot, five to eight hundred square foot if you count the office space. And uh, started opening up, did some boot camps there. Started making more money with that. At the same time, still fighting, and. Uh, down the line, 
I just started to accumulate more head trauma, you know, just kind of taking shots that I shouldn't have took. Um, and then also I remember my first concussion, I was probably like seven or eight years old. So you played hockey, so you kind of understand the mm -hmm. same. And uh, my last fight, uh, right before I, I, la I won my last fight, but I was going for my next fight. And two weeks prior, it was two weeks out. And uh, one of my teammates were just drilling. It's called just text barring. So we were just playing around, basically just picking our shots. And he kind of threw a spinning back kick and came down fast on it. And I was just kind of nonchalant, just kind of slipped it. And it came down hard in the back of my head. And I, I was rocked. And I, I, I've been concussed before, obviously. So I know how to handle it. But this was different. Like, I couldn't recover from this one. I was really nauseous. Light was sensitive. I was sensitive to light, you know, uh, real dizzy. And it couldn't, it didn't stop for a couple of days. So then I got real nervous about it and then went to a neurologist, ran some tests. He said he's seen some beta amyloid plaque sitting in between my neurons saying, if I don't stop by the time I'm 50, I'm going to have Alzheimer's. At the same time, I was still, I was going back to school, traveling to FAU. So that's like an hour and a half. I was going to get my PhD. So I was trying to figure that out. Plus with the gym, plus my son was just born. So now I got all these factors. A lot of balls up in the air. Yeah. So I had to make that decision and I called Dean and I was like, you know, I pulled out of the fight and um, called Dean and he goes, you know, if it was your knee or your back, we could kind of fix it or figure it out. But it's your brain. You can't really fix that. You know, so you got to be careful. And so I, it still took me a little bit, man, because you put so much effort into that particular aspect of your life, you know, it takes time to be like, all right, I'm good. You know, so mm -hmm. it took me about two weeks and I finally decided to call it quits and go all in on coaching. I remember training a fighter way before Maureen. This is actually my first boxer, Antoine Smith. He's from, he was from Miami. You know Antoine Smith? I don't know, the name sounds familiar. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, we didn't get along. It was one of those guys who were like, fuck, he's coming in. But <laughs> at the end of the day, I wanted to help him. But he told me one thing, even though we didn't get along so well, he told me one thing that was truly profound and I'll take it with me for the rest of my life. I came in one day, I was super tired from training and I was working with him and this was right before I got the concussion. So I was going back and forth from doing my own training and rushing to the gym to coach him. And I was a little late and you know him being a selfish fighter, which you should be, if you're a fighter, you should be selfish. Um, he goes, you know what? He's like, bro, what do you wanna do? You want to be a coach or you want to be a fighter? You can't be both. And that really stuck with me. And I started thinking about that. And then when I had the concussion, I was like, listen, this is it. This is kind of a sign at this point. So that's when I went full in. And then a year later, I got the full-time job at American Top Team. And that's when I moved my gym to a smaller facility. Because I grew it from, at this point, 26, I grew it from 800 square feet to 11,000. So I had huge amount of members. Yeah, I had boot space. camps going. I had had a full cage in there, had a ring in there, you know, strength and conditioning, strongman, everything. Uh, so I was like, all right, listen, if I'm going to get this full-time job, I got to go all in. So I went all in my first day at American Top Team. I trained Dustin Poirier, Hector Lombard, uh, King Mola Wall, Tisha Torres. Those are the the three or four. And then also Dyer Davis, who's Howard, Howard Davis's junior son. He was actually boxing at the time. So all of them, quick. So I got thrown into the fire really quickly, which I was happy about because I get to show my stuff. I knew what I knew and I knew that I could help them. You know, the only thing that I had to make sure that they understood that I wasn't a fighter anymore, that I was a coach. And so, you know, fast forward about five years later and now here we are. So. Oh, that's interesting. I have a question about 
part of the story. So when you decided to stop playing football, mm -hmm. you said something along the lines of you knew you weren't going to make it pro. Mm -hmm. What were those things that that led you to believe that you couldn't couldn't make it? And and how how did you make that decision of like objectively being like, all right, like I've, you know, I've spent since I was seven years old playing mm -hmm. football mm -hmm. and now there's a fork in the road and I can mm -hmm. either keep pushing towards that path and potentially become a pro uh, mm -hmm. football player or I could, you know, step away and help my family in another way. It's just, I knew I had self-awareness, you know, I'm 5'8", 205. So I could have pushed for it. I could have pushed for it, but how long would my body hold up at the end of the day? I knew that I have other skills that I can put together to help myself be successful in life. Mm -hmm. With that being said, I also put more of an importance on my family. And at the end of the day, I had to take care of them. And that was going to put my mind at ease a little mm -hmm. bit. Mm -hmm. I was in Alabama, played for Alabama State. And at the time I was uh, starting on the kickoff team, starting on punt return team, But again, there was just always in the back of my mind, like, damn, I feel like I'm not doing enough. So with that being said, it was more so not that I thought that I wouldn't make it. I just didn't think it was the right, the right thing for me to do at the time. Mm -hmm. And then looking at my future, I knew that I could do something, anything that I want to do, I can make it happen. Um, it just has to be put in the right places. Mm -hmm. I love that. You know, I have a lot of respect for people who are willing to take that chance. It's a lot easier to stay in like the, the same trajectory of th that you've been doing. You know, football for you was the safe the safe path. Mm -hmm. You know, it's what you know. It's mm -hmm. what you've been training for since you were seven. Like, it's what you've envisioned. And I have a lot of respect for people who are able to walk away from that dream with their heads up mm -hmm. and are able to make something else happen. This yeah. is something that that I've subconsciously done my entire life. Mm -hmm. Like I have, I've never been afraid of being called a quitter or, or failing or pivoting and trying something else and mm -hmm. failing at it and then trying something else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Did you I, just read I like, something recently that it was successful people are less, what was it? I can't remember. Like but basically head, they're, but. they're less willing or more willing to quit things or identify and quit things that are, uh, you know, not to the best of their yeah it's their, not conducive yeah to the long run like I, i just thought to myself like all right listen if i'm gonna make something happen it's probably not gonna be in this but it can be in the other thing you know and i was like man i'm really good at leading i'm really good at coaching i'm really good at teaching um at the same time i still have that competitive drive i still want to be a competitor so that's why i still power lift today i do strong man i you know sure. i do jujitsu tournaments when I'm, my knee's not broken, you know, but at the end of the day, like you can still do that stuff, but you also have to have self-awareness of what you're really, really good at. Yeah. And then that can be, that's why I always say like your passion is pushed by what you're really good at in a sense. So if I can keep my passion going and work with people and help people out, that's what I want to, that's what I've been put on this earth to do. Also well, your passions and interests change with time mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with, with losing that passion or that fire mm -hmm. and moving into something else that you might have an aptitude for. Mm -hmm. I think that just society has been drilling into us this whole mentality of winners never quit mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's so unhealthy. It really mm -hmm. is. And, and it's stories like yours mm -hmm. that are perfect to uh, explain or exemplify the message that pivoting, being able to quit, being able to be objective, being able to uh, 
put yourself through through several discovery periods throughout your life so you can find what your vocation is and what you're good at, you know? And you can certainly so. certainly develop a passion for something when you're good at it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's something that's that you've always said, Steffi, is that it's like you have to have a balance between your your skill, your uh, aptitude and uh, ability to progress, and then also what you're interested in. For sure. Yeah. And the balance of those three things is probably what you're gonna. But likely you'll end up role. you'll end up loving things that you're amazing at. Mm-hmm. If you're winning, yeah, that's what I mean. If you're winning and mm-hmm. you're getting praised by people around you, wow, like you move so well, you're such a great boxer. That's gonna make you want to do it more and want to continue mm-hmm. receiving that praise, and yeah. eventually you'll start really, really enjoying those things. But um, were you gonna say something? Yeah, you mentioned that when you quit fighting, it was part of your identity, so it was it was tough for you to walk away from. Yeah. During football, uh, did you identify at that time as a football player or a fighter or both? Well, I'll, man, listen, we really want to get to it. I, I've grown is I've grown up in some rough, rough areas, so like I've always fought, you know. Um, so I always put myself as a fighter just in life. So I have that fighting mentality no matter what. I did Campbell Karate as a kid, and then it just kind of you know morphed into where I was at mm-hmm. now um I got into a lot of trouble as a young teenager I'll say 16 years old I got to a, a little bit of a issue when it came down to the law um I actually was getting into it with uh, an individual with one of my best friends and he basically all in all what ended up happening was ended up getting locked up uh, thrown in jail as a 16 year old kid not knowing what's going to happen. I had scholarships on the table, played, you know, I had Wisconsin, North Carolina State, big names following me. As soon as I got locked up, they all fucking left, you know. And then from there, I was kind of like, what should I do? So I was sitting in the detention center as a 16-year-old kid, then got direct filed as an adult, and then went to the county jail. So I'm sitting in the county jail, grown men, not knowing what I'm going to do. Yikes. And and I was actually facing a, a really bad charge. It was almost, it was attempted murder because the kid messed with my boy and actually he's like a brother to me and ended up really messing him up. Feel bad about it now, but at the end of the day, I was just trying to help my friend, sure. my best friend. Um, beat him up pretty badly and then that's when it ended up happening. So at the end of the day, I was sitting in the jail facing, you know, roughly 30 years from what wow. they're telling me. Florida will throw the book at you. And I had a couple of misdemeanors here and there because I've been in this world of crime and you would say trying to be cool, you know, and fit in a little bit. And uh, the whole time, though, I thought that, you know, as soon as I get out of here, I'm going to make it happen. So at that point, I was trying to figure out what's the next move. And even when I thought that, you know, I might not be getting out of here, I always had this mindset of no matter what happens, I'll overcome and so that's what ended up happening. Luckily, I got some probation, ended up doing two years of probation, was six years. They, they got me off early, and then I got the scholarship for Alabama State. So I was able to go from being having to drop out of a school, change another high school, go from Northeast High School to Deerfield Beach High School. And that's kind of what changed the whole, the whole, the whole thing for me, the whole future, um, because when I left that school, uh, I didn't know what, like, what the outcome would be. You know, as soon as I left and they, they dropped me out, I was like, OK, what do I do next? So I had to go into a drop in program, finish that up for like I think I did it for two weeks. Then my family, we moved to Deerfield, ended up playing my end of my junior and my senior year. 
doing that and then getting the scholarship to go to Alabama State. So all of that, with all that happening to me, I knew that, just like you said, I can pivot, right? So I'm like, oh, this will happen to me? I'm not worried. I got this. I can make it happen. Mm -hmm. Same thing with MMA. It's like, okay, can't fight anymore, but I can coach, right? Same thing happens every time. So that's the main thing. I think people just kind of succumb to their, to the downfall of their lives and then they don't sure. overcome it's things. I like to, to rise. You know what I mean? For sure. It's easy to be a victim, especially when you make it a habit or you grew up in a place where a lot of people think that way too. Yeah. How did you two guys get linked up? What? <laughs> so I was, um, I was actually coming out off an injury, um, Back in 2015, um, I actually fought and I had hurt my, I had a pretty bad injury, went to get it checked out. And I was told by one of the head, the, uh, actually the, the, well, one of the head surgeons at USC that I'd never box again with this injury. And it was completely just like, I mean, he just made me feel so like, like I, I asked me what level am I in boxing? Like completely the, just, the, the highest one. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I was best. like, well, didn't, didn't look at me. And I think because, you know, female boxing isn't very, you know, they back then and even now it's getting better, but it's, it wasn't anything. Sure. And he's like, well, and you know, my fights are on TV, but he's not going to watch female boxing anyway, you know? So anyway, I had gotten that, that had happened. And, um, then I, I came out to Florida to visit my family because I had some time off because I had to heal from this injury and, um, was in, it was, you know, kind of messed up, but I had come out and then, um, got the cast off and everything. And then, uh, it was a bro uh, broken hand? It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was you, a, you a little more severe. I hate talking about the injuries, but it was a little bit more severe than that. It was a torn ligament. I tore the ligament in my oh, wrist, okay. and then they told me that I'd never box again, and then I had to have it repaired and all that. So, so, um, so yeah. So, was, did you have a question about that? or? Yeah. Uh, you uh, finished the fight, right? With a. I did. Hand. I did. I won. That's I fought, wild. Yeah, That's happened. an important so, detail. You got well, that makes you sound yeah, so bad. I was trying to get tough. <laughs> well, what happened? Pretty tough. <laughs> well, yeah, tough and well, there's this tough and stupid, you know. But no, I went into the fight with a broken hand. I had I fractured my trochlear and I didn't realize that it was fractured. I thought it was because I have a high pain tolerance, and we spoke a little bit about this. And it was mostly more the whole I just want to fight. So when mm -hmm. I went into the yeah. fight, um, it was an eight rounder in the I believe it was the fourth round or the third round. I remember I threw a left hook and I was like. Oh, and then I was like, all right, but again, the survivor and overcomer, like, I'm like, all right, well, I want to win. So what can I do? I threw a jab. I was like, okay, I can throw jabs. I threw another left hook. I was like, okay, don't do that again. Because yeah. the conversations <laughs> you have with yourself, I mean, I'm sure on platforms and stuff, you have like multiple conversations with yourself at one time. Right. So I was able to jab and land the right hand. And obviously the poker face, not showing anybody that I'm hurt was something I always practiced and was taught. Um, and so I did that. And then I did, I did, I, I won the fight and then all this happened. So I ended up going to Florida to spend some time with my parents who live out here. Um, they live in West Palm. My brother's out here as well. So spend some time with some family. I was coming from California because I'd lived there for eight years. And I actually knew I wanted to start training and working out and uh, found a boxing gym. But knew strength and conditioning was always something that I've always loved. And I always understood like being stronger, feeling stronger. I always loved moving weights um, since I was really young. That was like my first thing was going to the gym and, and doing that. And then and then boxing came later on. But I actually called Daya Davis, who's a very good friend of mine. He's like a brother to me. And, and you develop these relationships in boxing um, a lot of with the guys that, that accept you and they, they support you and they respect you. Daya was one of them. So I said, hey, I'm looking for a strength and conditioning coach out here. You know, who would you recommend? And, and he's mentioned Phil and he sent me Phil's Instagram and I was looking at it and I right away I was like oh this is great like there was no intimidation for me because I'm like this is what I want to you know right. this is exactly where I'm at <laughs> you know and then I'm I was already a world champion you know two-time world champion already so I was like oh this is great and then I remember I had called Phil and he had told me about American Top Team and actually it's funny because when American Top Team was somewhere else I had gone there and I met Tisha 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, you know, and I, I had met a bunch of the girls there and I was working out, just boxing there. I always loved the environment, especially MMA with females, you know, because in boxing, we were kind of all spread out. You wouldn't see so many women in one gym. So it was really cool for me to see all those women together. And it was the respect and the martial art mentality. They respected my sport. I respected them. So um, knowing that he had worked with them, I was like, oh, great. So I know he, know, he can work with females. And then I, I came up and we, mm-hmm. we had a meeting and mm-hmm. um, I was... I was very, um, I have to say he was, he was great. I was just, it was everything that I needed to hear because I had worked with some, some head strength conditioning, like top strength conditioning coaches in boxing and have experienced a lot. And I was very skeptical about trainers in general, just because I'm like, ah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But when I talked to him, it was very real and transparent. And that was really, um, really the biggest part for me, uh, you know, get, getting to trust somebody. And then we started working together. Yeah. We talked for like two or three hours. Yeah. Like I had a lot of questions. In the, uh, in that little hallway type area that we had in the ATT. And I was like, immediately I was like, well, she's definitely passionate with what she does. So it was good. And then I remember she asked me constantly like everything that we did. So she had constant questions, which was good because I could tell that she actually wanted to be there and wanted to do this. So Mm -hmm. it was cool. That's awesome. You you talked a little bit earlier about uh, how you had you developed a method that's Mm kind of unique to you of how you train fighters. Mm -hmm. Well, what is that method? Well, primarily it's changed over the years, right? In the beginning, I, I ran through every type of periodization model you could you know, possibly do, right? We went through block, undulation, everything. But at the end of the day, these guys always are training. They're training year round. They have to take fights on short notice. So I've developed a system based off of conjugate, right? A conjugate method, um, not so much West side, but West side driven. And it's condensed, you know, cause a lot of guys, they don't have time to train two times, maybe three times a week. So I have to condense it down. But for the most part, it's getting them acclimated to all the general specific demands of the sport. And then from there, I can go ahead and get them ready when the time comes, whether it be two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, they're always ready to go. And I always would do some type of concurrent style of an aerobic or, you know, anaerobic work, any type of energy system training. We're going to make sure that that's placed inside the training so that, you know, you're not clashing with organisms. So we're not throwing organism in two different directions. You know? Okay. Where does uh, uh, strength fit in there? So a lot of times we run, like I said, with conjugate, it'll be max effort, submaximal effort, depending on where they're at in camp. Also, if I know that we have a long time, we're going to obviously develop some GPP. We're going to do some general physical preparedness. We're going to enhance their strength qualities. We're going to enhance their coordination, enhance their balance. So that is put in into place and it is year round. You know, it just depends on the focus points. So if they're closer to a fight, then obviously the focus is going to be more dedicated to the velocity side of the curve. Mm-hmm. So now I'm working speed, strength, strength, speed in some ways and explosive strength, mm-hmm. right? Getting farther away, we're looking more of that absolute strength. But I also like to throw in post-activation potentiation, getting closer to the fight. We'll do some contrast sets. But I don't do a whole lot of eccentric, concentric movements. We'll do a lot of isometrics so that I can maintain that strength, but also not put them in that position to get hurt. Because a lot of times they're also calorie deprived. So they get close to the fight, you know, they're not going to be as energized as possible. So we throw in some maximal overcoming isometrics with some sort of explosive movement. And that's usually about four weeks out getting closer to the fight. Mm-hmm. But further away from the further out from the fight, you doing you include uh, like squats, deadlift, presses. Carries. Oh, we're, we're always doing that. Yeah, we're always doing some sort of big three lifts. Um, I like a lot of good mornings. You did the belt squat, you know, things of that nature. Um, we do a lot of sled dragging variations, a lot of prowlers, sleds. I do that with conditioning too as well. The good thing about 
the belt squat and the sled is that it's all encompassing. You can use it for strength, you can use it for speed, mm-hmm. and you can use it for conditioning. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're doing all of those too as well. Is um is strength training something that's often neglected by fighters? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I think I think it's getting better now. Um, but beforehand, like I always was big into the weight room. So for me, when I was fighting, it was like that was mandatory. But some guys don't come from that background. Some guys have always fought. They've never done any other sport. So that weight room aspect is, you know, not so much in their repertoire. Like they don't understand that particular style, right? Or they get tossed a coach that has a mm-hmm. old school mindset and it's like, you don't need that. All you need to do is wrestle. All you need to do is just do right. your, your training, but that's specificity. Mm-hmm. They don't know that they have to develop that general physical preparedness to allow them to be good, specified into their sport and also keep them healthy and injury free. Mm-hmm. So, Is there um, a particular weakness that you see from a strength perspective that a lot of uh, fighters have, like something that's kind of uniform? Like for, for me, just to give background i come from training hockey players Mm -hmm. and like they all struggle with or not all but a lot of them struggle with full range of motion Mm -hmm. squat or clean front squat back squat any of that stuff just because their ankle mobility is shit from being like locked up in a boot Mm -hmm. is there something that like you think all fighters just need to focus on in the beginning i was saying like you know they need absolute strength in a you know in a wide perspective but now you're looking at they need more mobility You know, they're stuck in these fixed positions or they're only cyclical in one range of motion, right? Either boxing is a lot different than MMA because it is a a lot more acyclical. Like there's going to be ups and downs. You're going to be, you know, either jujitsu, wrestling, boxing, things of that nature. Um, Taking care of those hazardous imbalances is going to be better off in the long run, right? Not totally getting them, you know, totally symmetrical in a sense, but giving them enough mobility, enough active in range of motion so that they can do those movements efficiently and appropriately and not get injured or compensate enough to get injured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would say like a lot of times they're anteriorly like dominant, right? So we got to work the posterior chain, got to work the oblique sling, got to work rotational exercises, things of that nature, but also, yeah, ankles, knees, and hips, right? So we want to get triple extension all the time. Plus their amortization phase, a lot of them are shit. So, like, we want to make sure that we're gaining that ability to redirect force fast. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are, they can produce force from that static position very efficiently, especially um, wrestlers. Um, but I would say boxers in general have more of that quicker twitch ability, whereas opposed to wrestlers or even jujitsu practitioners, they're really just really strong in quasi-isometrics. That's why they're really strong when you grab them, but you go into the weight room, they don't know how to lift weights, mm-hmm. right? Or they don't know how to do a drop jump or something, or a box drop jump. So I want to go ahead and reiterate that. So I want to make sure that they're getting stronger. We're filling in those gaps. So I'm looking at a fighter when I do an assessment, I'm going through all of these, these situations. So I want to make sure that we are plugging all those gaps in, especially if they're doing MMA. If they're doing boxing, that's a little bit different. Um, the emphasis on energy systems are going to be changed a little bit more. They're more aerobic power, a lactic capacity, whereas you're going to have to do a little bit more lactic work inside of uh, grappling sports. You see what I'm saying? Because they're more close quarters. Mm-hmm. I have a question. That's, I had a question too, but I forgot. So go ahead. Mine's not, I'm, I'm changing gears. You're changing gears? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. I remember. There you go. <laughs> um, do you think that there's a trade off between strength and speed? I think if you do, yeah, I definitely think that a person can get too strong in this sport. In powerlifting, 
maybe not so much. You know, I, I still think you need some level of dynamic effort work um, just so that you can get the bar up. You know, same thing with fighting, right? If, if I got a guy that I know is super strong, well, we really don't have to work too much. As long as he can hit the weights that he needs to relative to his weight class, mm -hmm. then now we need to start working on the other side of force velocity curve. So with that being said, I'm going to be working more primarily speed strength, explosive strength in those ranges, and then we'll work on that compensatory acceleration. Mm -hmm. And then also, a lot of times, if they are strong, well, we got a guy named Jake Boswick who's he could probably, he could do a powerlifting meet and do really well. Mm -hmm. He's one of those guys, but he's a boxer or an MMA fighter, has 27 MMA fights, and now he's boxing. For him, he needs better conditioning and he needs to be faster and he needs to be able to repeat those bouts of high intensity mm -hmm. for a long duration. So those things I'm really focusing him on, but again, I'm still maintaining his strength, you know, because you don't want to lose it entirely. Sure. You got a guy named Greg Hardy, played in the NFL, super athletic, strong as shit. But he lacks certain things. He lacks the conditioning. And then he also lacks the ability to redirect force because he's a bigger guy. Was he on the Ultimate Fighter show? He was on the Contender Series. Um, I think he, I don't think he was on the Ultimate Fighter, though. No. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of a different guy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that all makes perfect sense to me. Did you have a follow-up for that? Nah. Okay, I have a question just that I'm curious about. Okay. Um, yeah, first, so you, there's always that debate of whether or not there's um, a, a martial art that is the best mm. or are they like all equal and it's just who's better at their own martial art. Mm. Do you think coming into mixed martial arts, there's one that's just like far superior to have a background in than the others? Yeah. yeah. What And what is that? It's going to be an argument to this one. Yeah. Somebody's going <laughs> to say something. Um, I always say wrestling. Wrestling is the best base for MMA. Because you can dictate the fight. If you can take somebody down, you dictate the fight. You look, you saw an Usman's fight. With yeah, Masvidal. I have questions about this too. Yeah, I mean, if any, if you can control the outcome of the fight, it's it's a it's a wrap. So with that, and also on top of that, from a mindset perspective, now boxers do have a strong mind, but wrestlers have a very strong mind because they go through it every day. You know, she'd probably say something different, but. Um, <laughs> Wrestling practice is just crazy. I know a ton of wrestlers that make it because they have the ability to transition better than boxers going into wrestling. I and, see. and I don't know why. I think I think it's more well understanding the use of the whole body. That's what I would say. You know, yeah. when I see Desmond, like yeah. you know Desmond Moore, who's, yeah. who's a wrestler, and then he comes in boxes. That's yeah. and I've sparred him. He was my sparring partner back when we first met in 2017, mm -hmm. and and I I'm like wow, like I'm just so impressed on. But his he's kind of an body anomaly, awareness. Though. You know, what yeah. I'm saying? I mean, but, but I get but body awareness because they know how to shift weight. You know, they know how, I mean, just putting the hands in the technique, but I think mm -hmm. just body awareness too, and understanding, you know, your, your level, like low, knowing you're low, knowing mm -hmm. you're high, mm -hmm. knowing how to control the low high, yeah. you know, I, I that's just my yeah. unprofessional. Also, <laughs> yeah. My unprofessional opinion would be that, that it, I think, I guess maybe that's a personal opinion, well, but for me, for me, I think it's learning. Yeah. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> if I'm learning how to punch, I think that there's, it, it's a little bit more intuitive, mm -hmm. a little bit more intuitive than learning how to, how to wrestle mm -hmm. on the floor. Like there, there's like a, a right, a very clear right and wrong way to do it. And also mm -hmm. if you don't know how to do it, there's no way you can do it. Yeah. Really? Like I if, almost feel the opposite. Dude, Cause I feel like messing dude, around dude, as a kid, dude. you, you like wrestle, <laughs> hold on, hold on. You like wrestle with your buddies, right? You figure out what kind of works, what doesn't work. You know, you, mm -hmm. you like, I can, I, if I like 
go for his leg. I can get him every time. Like you, yeah. but no. you, I'm not, I didn't, was never messing around with my buddies. Like let's punch each other in the face. I don't know. I was though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We grew up a little different. <laughs> no, but I, I think that for the truth, the, the, the real factor there is that, like I said, it's just being able to dictate the fight. You know what I mean? And yeah. Especially in MMA. But if you're an athlete, I feel like you can transition into be a fighter as opposed to a fighter trying to be an athlete. Mm-hmm. There's sure. a difference, too. You got fighters that aren't athletes whatsoever. Uh-huh. It's funny when people ask me, like, what's it like, you know, training these high level athletes? I'm like, some of them ain't too high level. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, they're great fighters. Don't get me wrong. They're killers, but they're not considered athletes, in my opinion. Sure. So, but yeah, like, like I said, like, in any, any athlete, I think that that's... Um, that's been through college, the college level, high school level, um, knows how to move their body in space. And that was one thing that she was talking about, which is important, you know? And then, and then again, being able to dictate the pace. So having said that, I see a lot of people and I fall into this trap too, specifically with the Usman fight mm. where I'm like, Oh, he's just kind of boring to watch, you know? <laughs> and that's what he gets criticized for. But mm. then I watched an interview with him and he's like, well, look, this is professional fighting. Like if you guys want to go see a bar fight, you're in the wrong place. Sure. You know, like we train to, to cause damage and receive as little as possible. Mm-hmm. And like, that's exactly what I did. My game plan was perfect. What, what do you think about stuff like that? I'm telling you right now, like that's, that's the wrestler's mindset. You know, if they can dictate the fight, they can take them down. They're going to, they're going to wear them down, especially if they're a kickboxer, which Masvidal primarily is. Mm-hmm. Masvidal does have an underrated wrestling game, but you know, it's, it's different from Usman who's been doing this his whole life. So I even said this on uh, Omar Isof and Eric's podcast. And I was like, listen, this is before the fight. I was like, listen, Usman's going to take him down. He's going to smother him. He's going to get him up against the cage. And then it's going to be over because you can't really do much after that. And then the judges look at that as you're you have octagon control and you're dictating the pace of the fight. Mm-hmm. So at any moment, if you're on top, you're winning the fight. Mm-hmm. The only time that you're not winning the fight is if you're just standing in the guard and you're getting submissions thrown at you and you have to fight submissions, which that's wasn't that wasn't the case when you get in a dominant position. So if I take you down and I get in half guard and mm-hmm. I'm sma- I'm smashing you, that was my entire last fight. The kid was 6'3", I'm 5'8", 6'3", at 155 pounds, he had an 80, 80 inch reach. So they were like- a pterodactyl. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he was a, a bang Muay Thai instructor. So- you guys know about Bane Muay Thai is uh, the guy that TJ Dillashaw worked with. Mm-hmm. So, like, I knew he knew how to kickbox. They were obviously both of us were stand up fighters. I come from that boxing background. So they were like, oh, it's going to be a war. I'm like, hell no. Nah. <laughs> like, listen, I'm going to do what I know I can do to win the fight. This is fighting. This is MMA. You got to mix it up. So when he threw a jab from damn near where I could probably not even kick him. <laughs> right and and hit me in the face. I'm like, oh, okay. Drop level, take him down, and then hand him just elbows, hammer fists, and maintain my position. And that's the thing that Usman did very well. You cannot knock a guy for trying to make his money and win and retain his title. All right. You are you are the challenger. Make it happen. You know what I'm saying? There's got to be ways to get out of that position. Now, I'm not taking nothing away from Masvidal. Don't get me wrong. But like I said, I knew that that just was going to happen. Yeah. I mean, we were reading for Masvidal just because, you know, he's a Miami guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, He's got a cool story and all that stuff. Uh, But I I think that 
it's more it's mostly the casual fight fans who yeah. uh like they really reward and embrace uh strikers yeah because if you don't understand grappling you don't understand jujitsu mm-hmm. uh, you know it, it's it's a lot harder to appreciate whereas like everybody can understand someone getting smashed in the face. Sure, That's exactly sure. how I felt before um, MMA. I mean, way before I met Phil, my, my actually my manager, Luigi, he loved MMA. He did um, Sancho and he was a kickboxer. And so he was like, oh, you got to come watch MMA. And I'm like, I need a dictionary to understand what the hell they're doing. They got these freaking random, like Peruvian necktie. Like, what is that? You know what I mean? Like I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't know what he's doing. I'm like, I, I called it like touch butt. Like I'm just saying, I would make fun of it because I didn't understand it. And then, but then when I became educated in it and I started to, to really do my research and really just sit there and try to study and understand, I'm like, wow, I I really respect these different arts. I didn't know anything about jujitsu. I didn't know. All I knew was striking. So again, just same thing. I was that sure. casual fan. But then once I started to understand it, I really learned how to appreciate, you know, how to get out of submissions and, and all this. So I was like, wow, that's that's not easy. For me, it was when I started getting interested in martial arts, mm-hmm. obviously like MMA was the first thing I wanted to do because there's so much hype behind it. Mm-hmm. But I felt I felt the same way I felt when I when I got into CrossFit, that it was so overwhelming, just yeah. the, the amount of skills I needed to gather. Yeah. And I felt like I walked into CrossFit late. I felt like I walked into MMA late as well. I'm like, there's no way that I'm going to get into a, can, can I get better at all these things? Yeah. But can I get better than the girl who legit came out of the womb wrestling? <laughs> yeah. No chance. Like there's, there's, I was running when she was grappling, you know, I was kicking a soccer ball when she was learning how to strike. There's no chance I can like match her in all of these different disciplines. The well-roundedness, I think that, yeah, I felt the that, same way. That's same what I mean. Way. I felt the same way. So that, that was what kind of like why I chose the boxing path, not because it was easier, but because it's one skill I need mm-hmm. to master, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know? But yeah, like it's 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 crazy just how many things you need to be able to be good at in order sure. to succeed in MMA. There, there's levels to understanding all of the individual martial arts mm-hmm. too, though. Like you can watch a boxing match and see someone get hit in the face 50 times and you're like, oh, I could, doesn't look that hard. I can handle that. And then you get, you do your first sparring session uh-huh. and someone, you know, our coach, he's going easy on us. And he like, I have holes everywhere. So uh-huh. he'll, he'll clock me. Yeah. Well, what I, feels like getting clocked to yeah. me, which is him like doing 30%. I'm like, Oh, that feels, yeah. feels yeah. pretty bad. Yeah. You know? And you have a whole new respect for it. Yeah. And I, you know, it's have been hit to the body. Yeah. Those okay. are the worst. <laughs> that's even worse, man. That's, that's brutal. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough, I think, because, you know, fighting is something that everyone thinks they understand because mm-hmm. they got in a fight once or twice in their yeah, life or yeah, something. Yeah. And and when you see it on a professional level, it's just a totally That's why thing. the sport has risen so, so drastically, you know, because everybody can relate. Mm-hmm. It's primal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, not everybody can kick a ball. Everybody can throw a ball, but everybody can throw a punch or at least yeah. try to yeah. or feel like they can. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're saying. That's why I think that this in MMA is more understood from the general public because boxing is very, very technically driven. You have to be a scientist as a boxer, Mm -hmm. not to say that MMA isn't, but like you just said, you have to master one particular aspect of the game, Mm -hmm. which is something that you do very well. You're a world champion. She's a world champion. I have a judo Olympian these guys don't get along too well with the MMA guys. Right? <laughs> it's like powerlifters don't get along with too many CrossFitters, sure. right? Because they're like, I'm a specialist. This is what I do. I've de- dedicated my life to this one aspect and I'm the best at that aspect. Whereas MMA, they got to do all these certain different things and be average or good at those all those different aspects. And the problem that you have there too is that there's too many things running through your brain. 
So you really can't focus in. Even with the strength and conditioning, that's why it got so hard for me to pull in people to come do this because they have to worry about not just the strength and conditioning, but they got to grapple in three hours and they just came back from a sparring session or a drilling session. So there's like three or four things they're doing in a day. And then you try to top on, you know, strength and conditioning on top. That's crazy. Yo, so. I just realized that. So MMA is basically the CrossFit of fighting. It is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is, you know, I think that's probably why it's so popular from a training perspective too, because just coming from a, like a singular discipline sport, like powerlifting, mm -hmm. there's, if you're having a shit day and squat bench and deadlift, like too bad you're doing squat bench and deadlift, you know, and, yep. and, and it feels terrible, yep. you know, and I'm sure it's the same for boxing. If you just have a day where things aren't clicking, oh, it's yeah. not like, Oh, well I'll go work on my grappling. No. It's like, yeah. you're no, just yeah. going to just oh, feel yeah. like shit your whole session, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's actually a really cool part of both CrossFit and MMA is that, you know, you don't have to bang your head against the wall. If something's not clicking for you, you can, mm -hmm. you know, kind of change it up and work on other things as well. Mm -hmm. Steffi. And it keeps it. Oh, wow. Look at that. Wow. That's I learned. Respect. Major I points learned. there. I learned. <laughs> I learned, girl. I think, and, and I think that similarly to CrossFit, MMA has been kind of like the gateway drug to, to other, like to boxing or mm -hmm. to other, because it's popularized it, you know, because mm -hmm. it's hot and it's trendy and it's in right now and the cool people are talking about it. Mm -hmm. So, People like me, like I think I would have never watched a, a boxing match had it not been because I learned about uh, UFC fighters that I that I related to, like Paige or mm -hmm. some of the smaller ones, mm -hmm. Namahunas. I don't know who else. Mm -hmm. You want to get check, you know? Yeah, I, I, the only reason I don't mention is because I have no idea how, how to say her last name. name. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't know, Shane. I didn't know. I didn't know. For like, I probably still say it wrong. To be honest with you, I, probably, I go to Poland and like you're saying it wrong, coach, but it's okay. Like, yeah, whatever works. But yeah, like like when it comes down to that, that they're very they love very like varying things, right? So it's like they have to have that variation every day. So it's like, especially with conjugate, it helps with them because they don't always want to do one particular squat. They don't always want to do one particular press. They like those variations. That's why they're in MMA. Mm -hmm. Because, okay, now they can really literally choose, like, man, I'm not going to wrestle today. I'm just going to drill. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I'm not going to hit pads today. I'll go, I'll go hit a run. And these things are all what they think about in a daily basis, especially if they don't have a schedule and they're not in camp. <laughs> yeah, they'll do whatever. You know, but boxers are a little bit more strategic. They're structured, mm -hmm. um, especially in camp because oh, yeah. everything is down. Um, same thing with judo, right? They know they're going to be doing something on the mats every day. Something, some type of throw, you know, some type of crazy shit that they do. And or they're going to do a run or, or, you know, strength and conditioning. Is uh, you know? I was going to say, I want to add that it's interesting to make the contrast between MMA and CrossFit and then boxing and powerlifting. I've always said that. She just never listens to me. What? That, that MMA contrast? is like, no, it's is like, like CrossFit? CrossFit. Yeah. Yeah, probably. That's okay. What this, do you want credit? I said this long <laughs> yeah, Points. What do you want? A, a, a golden star? A smiley face? <laughs> you have one. Bro. Oh, man, that's funny. Um, and it's, it's interesting to think about it in, because... You can think about CrossFit and MMA as like, well, you know, it's easier to be able to have good sessions and it's easier because you have to be just average in, mm -hmm. in things. Or you can say it's more difficult because there's more skills to master. Mm -hmm. And at the same time with boxing and powerlifting, at least in powerlifting, the things that people say about it is that it's it's easy because you only have to squat, bench, deadlift, and that's the only thing you got to get good at, essentially. Mm -hmm. But I think I would make the argument that you can also see it in a different perspective in that it's more difficult because... You, 
there's only one skill that you need to master and yeah. be a real specialist in. Well, and when it comes to boxing, it's oh like yeah. if mm-hmm. if your skills are worse than the person that you're fighting against, you're gonna lose, right? Mm-hmm. So well, I also feel like in in a lot of ways, uh, a sport like the more simplistic a sport is, the more science has to go into that sport to make a difference. Like if squat is easy, for example, it's equally easy for everybody who competes in squat. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do you differentiate yourself and how do you become one of the best in the world at squat? Mm-hmm. Well, it's like mastering all the annoying shit like recovery and nutrition mm-hmm. and, and yeah. the, you know, your training methodology and loading mm-hmm. and all of those things that go beyond the actual movement itself. And I'm sure it's the same in, in boxing and sports. The like thing with too. boxing is like style, styles make fights. So you have a, you have a boxer, you have a boxer puncher, then you have a puncher where in, in the in MMA, you, they can do, they can like, okay, so you know, I can resort to this or I can resort to that, you know? So mm-hmm. if you, like, I'm a boxer puncher, you know? But what then what is that? So a boxer, more like a Marvin Hagler, like um, I, I can move, I'm a mover, but I'm okay. very comfortable in the pocket. I love to be in the pocket and sit there and bang, but use my angles to stay on the inside. Um, but I can also outbox you from the, the ring, like on the outside of the ring, you know, move around, mm-hmm. find my way in and then just get back out again, you know? So um, there's just different styles in boxing too that you have to, but if you're like an individual, some people don't, they don't like the inside. They can't get that, that, you know, comfort there. So they're always on the outside. So they're always trying to keep the person at the end of their punches. They're always trying to move around and that's high because there's constant movement. So for me, my cardio is really good so I can move, but I know that if I need to take a break, I can just get on the inside and stay in there with you a minute just to give my legs a break, you know, and then I'm like, all right, now I'm going to go out and box. Mm-hmm. So that's me personally, but that's what's important to figure out within each boxer, you know, I what see. their strengths are and if they can do those two things. And I, I mean, I personally think just I mean, it's not really off topic, but I boxing boxer puncher for me is like being a well-rounded martial artist mm-hmm. and being able to do inside outside and you're never uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The coach got to The coach has to understand that too, as well with the fighter. Mm-hmm. Like for her, I know when it comes down to her strength and conditioning, when it comes down to her pad work, I know that going and working on the outside and then transitioning into the inside game and working back out, being able to, be strong in the inside and be able to turn over your punches, but also be elusive and fast on the outside, mm-hmm. right? And also have mobility and movement, you know, because she has to be able to move, has to be able to rotate, you know, has to be able to transition. And that's a big thing. You know, with the MMA, um, Dean used to always say this, he said, there's, there's, there's a couple of different styles of people that are in MMA, which is you have a fighter, you have a athlete, you have an artist and you have a competitor. And the same thing goes for, I believe, in, in boxing and any other combat sport. There's those four archetypes in a sense, right? And if you can find out which one of those, and some of them are like hybrids. Mm-hmm. No, no pun intended. <laughs> some of them are hybrids, right? So for me, I was more of a fighter athlete, right? And then the competitiveness just kind of came as time went on, right? So I would say the same with her. She's more I'm a of that. bit of an artist. So there you go. See there, that's where you have. <laughs> I am saying no. I think. I think. I so, think. but but you gotta think like this though. If I put it into fighters now, yeah, like no, in the UFC, I, like an artist would be like a GSP, okay. but he's like an artist athlete. Mm-hmm. Whereas right. like you know a, a John Jones or no an Anderson Silva is a straight artist, mm-hmm. right? He wants to showcase his stuff. Where like uh, an Israel Adesanya athlete artist, he's super athletic, but he also right. loves the art of it too. So it's different. You know, you got like. You guys know who Mike Perry is, right? Mm-hmm. Mike Perry, that dude's a fighter. Yeah, like 100%. that's for sure. I've known him since he was a kid. He's a fighter. What about uh, what about Nate compa- Diaz? Nate's a fighter. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I would say fighter. Sure. I would say fighter artist. Artist, because, really? Yeah. yeah, I would say fighter artist. Because it's jujitsu, yeah. 
That makes sense. Who would be some uh, an example of someone who's uh, was a competitor? Was that the last one? Yeah, I mean, a competitor for me would be like a um, Masvidal. Nah, it was a fighter. It's a fighter. Yeah. Okay, bare knuckle boxing and backyards. Yeah. yeah, like he doesn't. <laughs> like he he competes. Everybody competes, mm-hmm. but it's like the one that really, really does not like to lose. Like we'll throw a history. Like just wants it oh, yeah. more wants, than anybody. Yeah, like um, oh man, what's his name? Um, damn, the one, the wrestler. I forgot his name. He just he just retired too. Oh, man, I forgot his name. I'll come back to it. Cejudo? Henry Cejudo? Henry Cejudo. Boom. That's that's a competitor. Yeah. Okay. Won the Olympics, got mm-hmm. gold medals, all that. He's a competitor. For sure. Yeah, true. He might come back. I know. He probably will. As soon as Dana tells him what how much he's making his next fight, if yeah. it's the yeah. numbers right, they all those come guys, back. Those guys all retire <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, yeah, five yeah. times. That's like yeah. a threat. G- like GSP a threat. was like, I'm coming back. Yeah. I'm not coming back. Coming back. <laughs> yeah. I'm not coming back. Well, GSP is a whole other story. Wasn't he like... Seeing aliens and all kinds of stuff. Wow. I think oh, he's, he's had Sometimes a, fighters hey, go through that. He's from Canada, man. You're going to at him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw him in the airport in Miami once. Did you? And, I, and yeah, that was a while ago, though. I didn't say hi. Um. Anyway, before we let you guys go, uh, what what's your guys' professional experience? Professional experience? Experience, not experience. Um, opinion. There you go. Professional opinion on my transition to boxing. What do you guys think? Don't be nice. What? I'm excited about it. I think it's great because from what I understand, we're having work with Phil and, you know, um, doing those different lifts that I do, uh, knowing how good you are at them. I think just teaching you the technique and knowing the kind of your mentality and just wanting to commit to something. I think that you're going to be really good at paying attention to detail. And I think with the right the right person who can show you those things, I think that's going to be a, a big it's going to be really good for you. And I think um, you, you're going to understand you're going to know how to apply it just because of your body awareness. And when you see, I don't know, I just feel like knowing those those movements and doing those movements, you're going to see how beneficial they are into translating it to boxing. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see I'm excited to see how that goes. What do you think is going to be my biggest challenge? Um, I think movement. Besides cardio. Oh, well, it's going to be movement. It's going to be movement and mobility. I think your mobility is going to be a little bit. I think um, having you move around the ring, um, we're going to figure out what kind of a fighter you are. You know, are you going to be a boxer puncher? Are you going to be a puncher? Um, working off your angles and stuff like that. So I think just the mobility and relaxing, I think the looseness of it. So we're going to have to go salsa dancing. But I think I think the looseness, um, I, I already saw it too when we worked last time, a little bit of your shoulders and, and very, very high up tense, which is a common thing with with um, with with anybody who gets into it. Because they think, oh, I have to hold my hands up. You actually don't have to hold your hands up. Your body's going to hold your hands. You know, so it's resting and relaxing. You know how to relax those muscles and not be so stiff because everything that you do, you have to be so stiff. Which for me, when I would lift, was a big was a big thing because he's got to remind me my cues of okay lats okay brace okay because I'm not used to being so stiff mm-hmm. I turned on shut off turned on shut off in boxing mm-hmm. so I think the turn on shut off turn on shut off is going to be a little bit of a challenge for you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah we're well, talking about that too being being loose and, and until you and reach end range yep, and yep, then yeah then you got to tighten, tighten that end mm-hmm. range that's mm-hmm. it's hard to think about we just know how to just the quicker you can the quicker, do it the whole way through the quicker a person can do that though the, the more power you're going to throw on your punches yep. mm-hmm. and also the less tired you'll get and the technique and the technique i think that's the biggest thing yeah mm-hmm. as far as like for me i think man you, you're gonna do better than eddie hall and thor i know that <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> um but no you you've made that's it that's not saying a lot i know i, know. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say that like, I was like, you let it ride for a little bit so i was like all right <laughs> but the abilities that you've already attained and the things that you've done mm-hmm. is going to carry over. Like I said, athletes can turn into fighters a lot easier than fighters can turn into athletes. You're mm-hmm. a true athlete 
and you're able and you understand, you know, how to challenge yourself to get mm -hmm. to that next level. So you'll do fine for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. When I first started boxing, I felt like I, like, yeah, I feel like I've been, yeah. I've been training my entire life for it. It's like every skill that I've, that I've acquired throughout the years athletically mm -hmm. puts me in a really good place to learn how to box yeah. you yeah. know like the strength the endurance from soccer and running marathons oh, and sure and all the gpp oh. stuff that i've done throughout the, the years yep. crossfit yep. everything else also the mental just like coachability and that toughness too. all that and stuff wanting to gotta, understand like yeah. i loved when we talked you were just like i want to understand why and how and yeah and that's going to be that's going to help you a lot too yeah awesome um anything else you want to add before we let them go they answered all my questions <laughs> where can people find you uh, find me on Instagram at Drew Strong, my website DrewStrong.com, and my Twitter Drew Strong. So simple. Find me on Instagram Maureen underscore Shay, and um, yeah, Facebook. I'm on Facebook Maureen Shay, and you Twitter, know when Maureen Shay. You know when your next fight is? Um, not right now. With everything going on, uh, we're we're kind of just waiting just to find location. It was we did know, but now you know Florida shut down again, so it would, it would be here in Florida. All right. Cool. On. I would love to go watch. Absolutely. Yeah, support absolutely. You know, so I appreciate know. that. Thank of you. Of course. Mm -hmm. Titles. We're taking titles. That's right. I want all Dropping weight classes, taking titles. I like <laughs> and it. And souls. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, souls. <laughs> no, we'll take some souls. That's okay. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you. Thank you.